everything that Eric said is 100% true. Yes, there was enormous amounts of blood, sweat and tears, and it, it really wasn't just mine. There are a, a lot of people that got on this journey with us. Um, yes, we do still have leaders who like to think and act in the old way, but we're changing. Are we there yet? Absolutely not, 100% not. I wish I could say, yeah, we've changed the behavior of 330,000 people in a, a company that's 125 years old in 175 countries. But we haven't, but we are getting there and we are making huge progress. And you know, we couldn't have done it without Eric. We couldn't have done it without partners like David Kidder. We couldn't have done it without, there's a bunch of people in the room who I can see as friendly faces who've been with GE and either are currently with GE or GE alum. But here's what I want to do. I want to kind of take you back a bit and just share this story with you. But let me start by telling you about this huge transition that we are actually going through. Because GE is now the premier digital industrial company in the world. You probably know us as an industrial company. That, the manufacturing side, that's not going away. But what's incredibly important now is data. So what data comes off the assets? Whether it's an engine, it's a turbine, whether it's an MRI or a CAT scan, what is it that you do with that data that can really help our customers deliver better outcomes? That's what a digital industrial company does. It's the intersection of data and analytics to drive better performance, reduce downtime, to really help our customers become more productive. So we're a company that is constantly in change. We're a company that really needs to continuously reinvent itself. And I want to share with you one area that we have just entered into a space that I would say five, ten years ago was not even possible. It wouldn't have been something that would have even hit our radar screen. In Nicaragua, there is a very active volcano called the Messiah. And there are millions of people around the world that are living under the threat of what happens if a volcano erupts. We think we can use our sensors and data to help save the lives of many, many people. Let me just show you this video. It's the heartbeat of the planet. There's been over 3,000 people at the summit of Everest, 12 people on the surface of the moon, and no one has been down there before. 1600s, the conquistadors erected a cross here because they thought this was the gate to hell. I'm approaching the cross that was erected by the conquistadors. We're doing some training with the heat suits, getting used to the equipment, understanding how it all works. I have more Tamagotchis than you guys could ever hope to get. Sam's going to jump in to level zero and install gravimeters at points 10 and 9. 
walk up? Okay. Now we're example of what you can actually do with data but you know the most important part of that video and the reason for showing it is because it's driving change because that's not a typical GE video that you would normally see that features products but why do you have to change we've all got to change the world is changing the world is changing faster than we know it and if we don't disrupt ourselves we will surely get disrupted and so a number of years ago our chairman and chief executive, Jeff Immelt, said, listen, we've got to do things in a different way. We've got this most volatile and uncertain world out there, and it's incredibly complicated, yet growth is slow. So that's you know, challenge number one. Challenge really number two is the rate of growth is so much faster than it's ever been. And somebody very wise once said, the rate of growth today, the rate of change in technology today is the slowest it's going to be for the rest of your life. All right, just think about that for about three seconds. The rate of change today in technology is the slowest it's going to be for the rest of your life. You have to get ahead of that curve. You know, something else was affecting us, and that was new business models. So if you look at some of the new startups and new growth, it is not coming from physical assets. It's coming from software, from services, from new business models, from different ways to monetize those assets, from data and analytics. And we knew that we needed to really rethink the way that we go to market, the way we commercialize our products. And the final piece is our customers love us dearly. They love our technology, they love our science, they love our engineers. But sometimes, you know, we're a large company, we can be difficult to do business with. And so our chairman said, we need to change, we've got to stay competitive, how can we do this? And we needed to start in one area, because you can't change a company like ours overnight. So we started in one area, and that area we focused on was about bringing better new products to market faster. And so FastWorks was created with that very single intent of bringing better new products to market faster. FastWorks now is so much more than that. It's about driving better customer outcomes. It's about speed. It's about adaptability. It's about this intense focus on the customer. And if you're not solving for a customer need or a customer outcome, then don't even do it. Where FastWorks is right now is fundamentally not where we started. So I'm going to take a few minutes and take you back through our journey and, and really share a lot of these, the blood, sweat, and tears that, that Eric talked about. But I think what's really exciting is this change, is the change that we've made. So let's talk about this blood, sweat, and tears. So over a period of about four years, um, this is the change we've made. We started, this is you know, like one of these stories that a movie should be about. Jeff said, we need better new products to market faster. Leadership team, do something. My, my boss and my boss's boss called me and said, Viv, we need some help. Beth Comstock and Steve Ligori, who's also in the audience here and waving at everybody, were, we were at Eric's first book signing. Literally, this is a true story. We were down at IDEO in New York City, 
and Eric was doing his first book signing and his very, just like the intrinsic stuff, the build, measure, learn, the why does it matter if you build something on time, on spec, on budget, if the customer's not gonna buy it. You know, some of these very intrinsic facts were so relevant to us and we said, oh, maybe this is a way for us to stop. That was how we started. The rest is literally history. And I'm gonna take you through each one of these and how we did it and what it meant to us. Okay, so started with new product introduction. We then realized that that's great, but how, how do you even know what new products to focus on? How do you know how much money to invest in these products? And the more we did this and the more projects we ran, the more we realized that we were onto something really huge and we found an opportunity to actually roll this out to the entire organization. You're not gonna change GE one project at a time. So we did that and where we are right now is Fastworks 4.0 and I'm gonna share that with you as well. And then we'll look at a couple of examples. So let's keep going through. So the first thing I said was, we looked at creating a framework for bringing more new products to market, better new products to market, I should say, faster. So we took the approach of build, measure, learn and said, look, it makes sense, but you can't use that language in GE because that's what we do right now. We build products, we build the factory, then we try and sell the product and we realize we've got a bit of a problem there. So we had to reframe this language in what it meant to GE. So we looked at the work that Eric had done. We combined that with a lot of other thought leadership and we created our own framework. And you know who loves this framework the most? Don't look shout at once. Engineers. We have, I mean, th these numbers are mind-boggling. We've got 50,000 engineers, plus or minus at GE. They love this, because all this is, it's a giant scientific experiment. That's all it is. You start with your hypothesis that you think is gonna solve a customer need. First thing you have to do, of course, is identify that customer need. You start then with the hypothesis, you run your series, you identify what your assumptions are, you run your series of experiments, you measure it, and you act on what you find out. That's why our engineers love this. It is, it's literally like a giant scientific experiment. And it's incredibly rigorous. And so this is what we did. We ran projects through this. We had Eric coaching these projects. Um, and we did about, probably about eight to 10 projects over a period of about six months. We incubated these teams. We took these teams and we kind of put a little bit of cotton wool around them and we helped them and we coached them. And everything that Eric talked about, we did. And then we cut the cord and we sent them back into their business and their day job. And you know what happened? Organ reject. Organ reject happened because these guys were testing small. They were creating MVPs. They were going out to customers with brochures, but not the products. They were saying, no, we've got to stop work on this because the customer doesn't see value in it. What we've done is create an environment where we could incubate the project, but the rest of the organization around it just didn't think and act that way. So we realized what we needed to do very quickly was to start to train our leadership team. So during 2013 and into 2014, Eric, David Kidder, 
Steve, my co-founder, Janice Semper, and I went on a roadshow. We went to every single GE business. We met with every single CEO and their leadership team. And that ranged from 30 people to 200 people. And we would talk to them about this new way of thinking, this new way of working. And what was really important was we would bring up their employees, their own, their own team, and they would hear stories just like the one we just heard from Eric. They would hear examples of where there was too much bureaucracy in the organization. They would hear examples of where they would try to test something and their manager would say, you can't go out unless it's a fully finished product. And they realized that a lot of the challenge was internal and the way we were making decisions. And that roadshow was incredibly powerful because it helped us identify something else, which was, yes, we're now getting better at actually bringing that new product to market, the right kind of product, the product that's really grounded in solving a customer need. But how do you even know what to work on? How do you even know how much money to invest? How do you even know what questions to ask? And so we started to roll out growth boards. And, and those of you in the world of startups, this is similar to a VC board. Again, it's been customized and adapted to work in, in our own world. But what we're doing with this is using this as a way to filter all of the new product introductions and some new process introductions as well through the system. And the team that sits on that growth board gives out small amounts of metered funding. They give out just enough money for that team to get to the next experiment. And they close projects down. One of our businesses that has been running growth boards now for three years actually cancels more than 50% of the projects that come in. And that is huge because what that does is it frees up capital to reinvest right up at the front end. So we're getting finance guys to love this too. The more we did this, the more products we ran and projects we ran through this, the more growth boards we ran through this, we realized that actually we were starting to change the culture of the entire organization. But there were parts that were missing, and this is, in hindsight, probably should have been the first thing we did. But we didn't. And so you learn from it, and you say, what did we do wrong? What should we do? What would my advice be to any enterprise wanting to do this? Do this before you start doing anything else. You know, it's a hard decision because this was successful because we had proof points. The flip side is it would probably have been easier to get to the proof points if you'd done this. And what this is, is this is the culture change across the entire company. And it starts by saying, what do you expect of people? How do you expect people to behave? We totally redesigned what, we, what used to be called the GE values, and we reframed them as the GE belief. They were crowdsourced by our employees. They were written by our own employees. We have five beliefs that are all grounded in FastWorks language, things such as stay lean to go fast. So that's what we do. We tell people these are the behaviors that we expect. Then we give them the toolkit. FastWorks is that toolkit that helps them go faster, puts the customer front and center, deliver results. But if you're going to tell people what you expect, you're going to give them a toolkit. You've also got to hold them accountable in a different way. And we recently rolled out what we call PD at GE, which is performance development at GE. And what that is, is an ongoing 365 days a year, real-time performance evaluation. 
and it's very simple. It's on any mobile device, and it means that at the end of this session, or even during my session, one of the GE guys can actually upload a, hey, Viv, we call it continue and consider. Continue means you did a good job. Consider means mm, 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 think about doing something a bit differently. One of these guys, any one of the GE people can do that to me right now. And when I get off this stage, I can look and see what people have said. So, gee, people, you need to be giving me continue and considers right now. And that is so important. If you're in a large organization, having an annual performance appraisal, I mean, really? You know, how old-fashioned is that? It, it doesn't work. You know, you're appraising people on something they did 14 months ago when you can't even remember what happened 14 months ago, let alone how well or badly an employee did total redesign of the way we now hold people accountable. So we love that. The next part of that was, though, that we realized FastWorks actually applied to everybody. And they could all use FastWorks to do their day job. And so we started to roll out what we call FastWorks every day. We have a very, very simple approach. It's discover, develop, learn, and act. So as if you're a big project, you go through the wheel that I showed you. If you're just changing the way you do your day job, it's a very simple four-stage process. Discover, develop, learn, and act. We've actually trained nearly, I'm going to say 25,000. The number's probably about 20 to 22,000. But by year end, it's probably going to be 25,000 people have been through FastWorks everyday training. And it is not mandated. So, huge point there. That's all grassroots. It is not mandated. And that's the metric when you say, oh my God, that shows we're really doing something well. Because if you just say it's 22,000, it's a vanity metric, isn't it? I mean, who cares whether it's 20,000, 25,000, or 30,000? If you're telling people they've got to do it, you know, does it matter? But when it's viral, when it's grassroots, that's when you know you're really, really seeing that change that's taking place within the organization. Um, and we give people, again, the tools to, to do that. I mean, we tell stories around creating PowerPoint pitches. And, you know, we all know how many hours we spend creating PowerPoint pitches. Make sure they're absolutely beautiful. But what we try and get our guys to do is say, hey, what's the outcome you want? Like, who's going to be in the meeting? How many people? You know, is there a specific message? It, it's just obvious. I see some of you looking at me going, really? You have to do that? But sometimes you just have to take that step back and say, what's the outcome we're solving for? Who's my customer? Who is my customer? And that could be an internal customer, could be an external customer. And we like to think that they're all the same, and we still have to do that discovery. What's the outcome they want? That's how we're changing the lives of you know, 100,000, 150,000 employees. But where we are now is in a slightly different place, which kind of takes us full circle, if you will, which is that, as we all know, growth is incredibly difficult. We are in this slow growth world. And so how do you, how do you really drive true organic growth? in a company that is as large as ours? And how do you really go deep into thinking about what's the new white space area? What are the real customer needs or customer problems that you have to solve for? And so well, the way we're doing this is we've broken down those leadership 
areas, if you will, or the, um, the traits that we want our more senior people to think about into three specific areas. We want them to think about culture, we want them to think about leadership, and we want them to think about the work that you have to do. The challenges, of course, as you can imagine, these aren't mutually exclusive. So what we're doing is we're creating a new mindset for our leadership team across the company. And that means asking different sets of questions. That means asking who's the customer and what is the need that we're trying to solve for. That means you have to be able to do both. It means you have to be able to operate, but you also have to have the mind of a VC. A lot of people are calling this ambidextrous leadership. It is incredibly difficult to do. Typically, people are either good operators or they're good growth people. You actually have to be able to do both. You have to think that the only thing that actually matters, the only truth that really, really matters is that of the customer. It's not about what I know. It's not about what I think. It's not about what's my opinion. It's really the customer. And this being outside in versus inside out is difficult. It's difficult when you come from a world of amazing technology and being able to create competitive advantage on pure technology alone. That, that's changed, so now we have to be able to really, truly, deeply understand what those customer pain points are. I have no doubt that our engineers can solve those pain points. The challenge sometimes is having the patience to really go deep and find them out. You know, we, we often hear about, well, I tried this two years ago, three years ago. It didn't work then, so it's not going to work now. But you've got to expire that. You've got to have the courage to say, this is a new world that we're in. And just because it didn't work or it did work, you've got to continuously get new learning. So we're creating this environment. We're creating a leadership team who are focused on asking the right questions, not knowing the right answer. And, you know, it requires different muscles. It requires different DNA. And it requires the courage to stop working on things where you see you're not creating customer value. And so when you look at that journey, that f those four stages that we went through, you say, how on earth can you scale that in, in a large organization? How can you scale that approach, that mindset? Um, and so we have a model that I want to share with you that's actually incredibly simple. It works for us. It may or may not work for you. But here's what we do. We start by saying, what, what do we need to do better or differently? That's kind of what we call discovery. And we work with multiple amazing and brilliant thought leaders across the world to help us think through what are those capabilities, what's the mindset, what are the tools that are out there that we can use, we can customize, and really make it work within GE. So we kind of create that new playbook, if, we were, if you will. The next thing we do is we go out and test it. So we experiment with it 
and we learn from those experiments and then we iterate and we drop stuff that doesn't work and we bring in new stuff. That's what we're, you know, that's the kind of execution and learn piece. And then when we get that better, when we get it as close as you can do, but we'll continue to iterate. We then start working with our businesses on it because the way G is organized, we're organized as P&Ls. What we then do is teach the businesses how to do it and then we teach them how to teach people and then we give it to the business. What that means is instead of it being a corporate group of five, that's all we have in corporate, the work on FastWorks, instead of this core group of five, we have huge numbers of ambassadors and change agents across the entire company. We have coaches. We've got about 800 FastWorks coaches across the organization. We have FastWorks champions in every single business. We have people that just so passionately believe in this change that they're just doing it. So we start by finding it, then we test it, then we teach it, and we hand it over, and then we're there to coach, and that's the way we scale. Okay, so with that, let me share a couple of examples with you. And through the history of this conference, we've always shared examples. I'm going to do it in a slightly different way. I'm going to share the example of an entire sub-business that is changing the way they act. And then I'm going to go to a complete opposite extreme and show, sort of share some really high technology that we're using that's really helping change the way we think. So let me start with um, what we call SHS, which is Sustainable Healthcare Solutions. It's a business that has been brought together by country and by product. So it's what we would call value and super value products, particularly focused in emerging markets. So ASEAN, um, India, Africa, particularly Sub-Sahara and Africa. And as you can imagine, the challenges in the healthcare space where there are billions of people who do not have access to affordable healthcare are so significant. And in the past, what we would have done would have been to take a traditional product that would have worked in a US or Europe and defeature it. And yet, that isn't always the right route to go. And what we instead did was we went to the market and we started with a blank sheet of paper. We didn't even start with a set of assumptions. We started with our customers, midwives, doctors, patients, Ministry of Health. And we understood their pain points as opposed to saying, tell us about the product and what you need. We took the product out of the mix completely. And we said, in the area of infant and child mortality, which is incredibly significant, and I'm going to show you a video that will give you the really relevant data points, how can you address this in a very, very different way that is scalable and sustainable? And so this is what we did, and this is what we came up with, and I'm going to show you a video that talks a little bit about the journey that we went on. Uh, maternal mortality in Tanzania is very high. So my dream is that women should be able to feel safe and to go through pregnancy like any, any other experience. We know the needs here. 
and, and you know the technology. And we've been on a learning journey. Basically, listening, learning, and iterating. Following a very human-centered design process to spend time with patients, practitioners, midwives, governments, and funders. We wanted to design an ultrasound device specifically for primary care to be the first line of defense for early diagnosis in pregnancy. We didn't just want to take a traditional ultrasound device and incrementally remove some features and functions. We wanted to completely rethink and redesign ultrasound from the ground up. Affordability, accessibility, appropriateness, it's, it's part of the design. Scale and sustainability is really impossible without partnership. So we've partnered with groups to bring clinical training, e-learning, mHealth connectivity, and a three-year service warranty. The issue is not profit-making, because if it was just profit-making, you wouldn't have thought about doing a, a lower type of ultrasound. But you are thinking that, okay, why can, why can I help where the real problems are? just a GE logo up there, so I'm glad that's gone. Um, can I help where the real problems are? It's, it's just like, it's so real. And the neat thing is this business, the, that the whole SHS business has reframed the way they do the job. They only think about starting with a deep customer need, an outcome that they're trying to solve for, all of their new product introductions are done through a growth board. They work in four to eight week sprints of testing, learning, iterating. They come back to the growth board. They feed back on what they've learned. They say, I'm either going to pivot, I need a bit more money to run some more experiments, or I'm going to stop work. The team there have cancelled projects because they're finding out that they're not creating customer value. And again, to have the courage to do that is huge. They have a CEO who fundamentally believes in this way of doing things. So she runs these growth boards. The entire organizational structure is about testing, learning, and iterating. And they don't ever expect now to have significant new product budgets, which is a very, very different mindset. And it's not only in infant and child mortality that we're seeing huge progress there. They're doing a lot of work in, um, in the cardiology space as well. So it's a, it's a really neat experiment that we're running there. And it's proved to be incredibly successful. We're actually seeing 80% increase in revenues over a couple of years as well. So not only is it successful for our customers, it's successful for our shareholders too. So that's about creating real impact. The other story... Um, is as like contemporary and high-tech as you can get. And you may have seen this announcement recently um, about Fuse. And basically what Fuse is, it's the, like I say, it's the other end of the technology spectrum. It's where we do um, crowdsourcing and open source innovation challenges about areas that we just, we're not sure how to solve. So what we do is we do open source the question People will come up with some potential solutions, and we have created micro-factories. And those micro-factories are using additive manufacturing to create physical MVPs. 
So very, very different. I mean, it's like as different as you can get from sustainable healthcare solutions. You go the other end of the technology spectrum, they're using exactly that FastWorks mindset. What's the problem we're trying to solve for? What's the outcome our customers are, are trying to achieve? What are our assumptions? How do we test it? How do we learn? How do we measure it? And how do we make change? So this is another example of how it's being embedded into our DNA. So with that, we're out of time. I could, as you could probably gather, keep on talking for about another couple of hours. So I apologize. I've probably run a couple of minutes over. There's been blood, sweat, and tears. But I can tell you, it's, it's impact. We're changing the way we think. We hear our chairman talking about it. Our customers, which is as important, actually love it because they say we're easier to work with. They say we're bringing better products to market faster. And our employees are just feeling better about themselves. They love this way of working. They love the fact that we're cutting through bureaucracy. They love the fact that they're being empowered and inspired as opposed to if they don't make the quarter. So that you know, empowerment, inspiration is absolutely huge. And by the way, we don't shout at people if they don't make the quarter. They feel bad themselves. But you know, we, we're just changing the way we think and act. We're not there. Can't overemphasize that. We're not there, but we are making progress. So with that, thank you. Um, we'd love to take Q&A, but I understand we're not. So um, I am going to hand this back to whoever wants the clicker and the mic.